Leaked footage in Idaho shows nothing new. Chad Daybell needs more time. His attorney is telegraphing that he wants a continuance. Guess who called into our Patreon show last night? Who stole $370 million from FTX after it filed for bankruptcy? An inside job, perhaps? Sam Bankman Freed? Alex Murdoch is getting another trial, and he really has nothing to lose. And then finally, our dumb criminal of the day. Let's talk about it. Welcome to Crime Talk. My name is Scott Reich. You know the drill. Subscribe if you haven't. Like if you do. Hit that little bell so you receive notifications of when we go live or put up new content. And remember, leave me a comment below about what we discuss here today. And as a quick reminder, you can listen to us anytime, anywhere on any of your favorite podcasting apps. Just simply download Crime Talk. All right, let's support the sponsors that support us please go to crimetalksearch.com and you can sign up for a background subscription service. And when you have that background subscription service, you are able to conduct background searches on as many people as you desire and you can cancel at any time. Now, when you do this background search, it's literally done while you wait and you're gonna get a report emailed to you and it's gonna have information about the person that you're searching. Are they married? Are they divorced? Are they have judgments against them? What kind of criminal history do they have? Where have they lived over the last 20 years? That's right. That's the kind of information you're gonna be able to get. Check people out, don't be a victim. If you're not getting a warm, fuzzy feeling by somebody you know, Check them out. Go to crimetalksearch.com. All right, let's go ahead and open the record for December 28th, 2022, and begin with our docket. Our first case on the docket is the Moscow, Idaho slains. Idaho police issued a statement last night. We brought this to you on our live program, uh, but let's go through it. It's almost like they were watching Crime Talk. Uh, we put on our video last night, and then all of a sudden the Moscow Police Department is issuing a statement saying that the Moscow Police Department is providing the following information to update the public on the known facts surrounding the four murders that occurred on November 13th in Moscow, Idaho. At this time in the investigation, the detectives do not believe the female associate professor and chair of the history department at the University of Idaho suing a TikTok user for defamation is involved in this crime. The Moscow Police Department will not provide a statement about the ongoing civil process. They also stated that there have been numerous inquiries from members of the public and media to verify digital media published online. Any picture or video provided through the official public records request process is authentic. However, once a record is released, we can no longer verify its authenticity as we do not know if anything has been altered. Detectives are aware of the videos distributed by local businesses. And they also note that the uh, progress continues to locate the white 2011 through 2013 Hyundai Elantra, believed to be in the immediate area of the King Road residence during the early morning hours of November 13th. And investigators believe the occupants may have critical information to share regarding the case and have identified over 22,000 vehicles. So if you know or own a vehicle matching this description or know of anyone who may have been driving this specific vehicle on the date preceding or the dates of the murder, 
please forward that to their tip line. Now, as we brought you the news yesterday, Professor Rebecca Schofield filed a federal uh, lawsuit Wednesday claiming that Ashley Gillard posted TikTok videos accusing Professor Schofield of ordering the fatal stabbings of Kaylee Gonsalves, Maddie Mogan, Zaina Kernodal, and Ethan Chapin. Now, Miss Gillard said uh, that when she goes to court and they see the evidence and see how she's been able to connect the dots, that they will decide as it pertains to whether they want to continue to live in blinders or believe it. If they don't, I don't care. Now, of course, if they don't believe it, guess what? She's going to get a judgment against her. So there are images that appear to show two of the University of Idaho stabbing victims at the bar the night that they were killed, the same bar investigators where they were at for several hours uh, that night. The images that have been seen on Reddit offer no new information beyond speculation about who else might be in the photo with Madison Mogan and Kaylee Gonsalves and whether they had anything to do with the murders. Now, Kernogel and Chapin were at a fraternity party before the slains, while Mogan and Gonsalves were at the corner pub in downtown Moscow before grabbing food at the grub truck and taking a taxi home. All four arrived at their houses within minutes of one another shortly before 2 a.m., and police believe the killings took place between 3 and 4 a.m., and the next case on the docket, let's talk Chad Daybell, Lori Vallow. Well, the attorney for Chad Daybell, Mr. John Pryor, has filed a motion to object to the court's scheduling order for jury questionnaire submissions. John Pryor filed the motion on December 23rd to address the quickly approaching January 9th deadline for the submission of the jury questionnaires. And um, he states that uh, Mr. Daybell and his wife, Lori Vallow, are charged with multiple counts of first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder for seven-year-old Joshua J.J. Vallow and 16-year-old Tylee Ryan, two of Lori's kids, along with Chad's previous wife, Tammy DeBell. As most people know, prosecutors are pursuing the death penalty against the couple who have both pled not guilty and the charges will be tried together. Well, Judge Boyce ruled previously on December 16th that the question Four potential jurors must be submitted by January 9th to be included in the court proceedings to find a fair and impartial jury. The trial will be held in Boise, obviously, which is not in the county in which the case is going on right now. That was done because of being unable to obtain a fair and impartial jury there in uh, Fremont County. Mr. Pryor's motions also mentioned that Mr. Daybell will be asking for a further continuance of the trial, which was set to start on April 3rd during a motions hearing earlier this month. He states it would be impossible for Mr. Daybell to propose a constitutionally adequate jury questionnaire prior to completing a mitigation investigation and prior to receiving and reviewing all material evidence. And to safeguard Mr. Daybell's right to the effective assistance of counsel, his due process rights, his right to a fair and impartial jury, drawn from a fair cross-section of the community, and his right to individualize sentencing, Mr. Daybell objects to the current scheduling order and will promptly file a second motion to continue. Well, my first thought would be, what has Mr. Pryor been doing for the last two and a half years? Come on, we got to go try this case. He's ready. Let's go. Now, if you were a Patreon member, guess who called us last night? That's right. We received a call in from Larry and Kay Woodcock. And they 
called us, they're Patreon members. And for those who do not know, they're the grandparents of JJ Vallow. That's their grandson. Remember, they're Patreon members. And um, it's been a long time for them because the district attorney apparently is not communicating with them regarding aspects of the case as I would think they'd be required to do under the Idaho Victims' Rights Act that says that they have an opportunity to do that. And if you heard the conversation last night, they would really like the case to be televised so that their family and friends can observe the trial who are unable to go to Idaho. They asked for advice on what they could do. And my first thought was, well, you need to convince the district attorney to change their mind so that they can go to the judge saying, judge, please reconsider. And if not, you know, he can always write a letter to the judge himself. So very humbling the fact that um, the Woodcocks uh, turned to uh, Crime Talk here for advice on uh, how to proceed. But um, hopefully uh, that is, uh, hopefully that helps them in their quest to make sure that justice is done, not only for uh, their grandson, uh, JJ, uh, but for Ty Lee as well. Okay, next on the docket, some more Sam Bankman freed stuff. The biggest con man, well, in a really long time, makes Madoff and Ponzi look like a bunch of pikers indeed. So federal prosecutors are investigating an alleged cyber attack that drained more than $370 million worth of assets from FTX after it filed for bankruptcy last month. And the Department of Justice is said to be looking into the alleged hack at the largest crypto exchange last month after authorities were able to freeze a small percentage of some of the stolen funds. Now, it remains unclear whether the hack was an inside job. Hmm? Hmm, Sam? Is there something you'd like to tell us? Right about the same time as disgraced XTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried has suggested in interviews before his arrest earlier this month, or was the work of hackers keen to exploit vulnerabilities of the failing FTX. The investigation is separate from the case against the once popular 30-year-old former CEO who federal authorities say fraudulently raised $1.8 billion from investors to wage high-risk bets and cover his personal living expenses. He has since admitted in Bermuda court documents to borrowing funds from his firm, Almeda Research, to purchase thousands of shares of Robinhood. And then on November 12th, FTX new CEO, a guy by the name of John Ray III, revealed that there had been unauthorized access to FTX assets one day earlier, the same day the firm filed for bankruptcy. Man, it's almost like somebody knew what was gonna take place, wasn't it? Hmm. Anyway, filings with the federal government show that the alleged hacker made off with $372 $372 million worth of assets. Now, blockchain analytics firm Elliptic later revealed that the stolen FTX tokens were swapped for Ethereum, another cryptocurrency, through a decentralized exchange in a tactic commonly seen in large hacks. Then on November 20th, Chain Analysis, another cryptocurrency analytics firm, tweeted that the stolen funds were on the move and had been exchanged from Ethereum to Bitcoin. The group warned that crypto exchanges at the time to be on the lookout in case a potential hacker tried to cash out the funds, which I always think is ironic. They're going to cash out the funds for 
cash dollars. Funny how that works. Anyway, that's a for a later discussion on cryptocurrency. But if not, I hear there's a big tulip thing going on. Big tulip thing. It's going to be big someday. Anyway, uh, funds uh, were deposited into a mixer, which apparently jumbles different types of cryptocurrencies together to hide their origins, according to uh, Zach XBT, a Twitter user who tracks crypto hacks. And then on Monday, reports emerged that the crypto exchange Paxo recovered about 11,000 Paxos gold tokens worth about $20 million from the stolen funds. Those assets are said to be backed by real gold in Paxos's positions. Now, authorities have now been able to freeze some of the funds on certain platforms they say cooperated with law enforcement, but the amount they were able to track down and freeze is only a small percentage of the total loot. The investigation into the stolen assets is being led by the Department of Justice's National Cryptocurrency Enforcement Team, working with the Manhattan federal prosecutors in charge of a sweeping criminal probe that led to the arrest of Bankman Freed earlier this month. We'll continue to see how that goes. Um, personally, I mean, if there's something weird going on, I would look directly to Sam Bankman Freed or his little uh, close knit group of friends. They knew what was going on. They know how to uh, work the system. And, um, you know, I'm not saying we're giving everybody the presumption of innocence. We're not making allegations that we can't back up. But I think that's certainly where I would begin the investigation. We'll see where that leads. Next on the docket, Alex Murdoch gets himself another trial. Well, the much delayed trial in the wrongful death case of Mallory Beach against um, Alex Murdoch and convenience store magnet Gregory Parker can finally proceed but no official date has yet been set. The South Carolina Court of Appeals unanimously ruled that Murdoch and Parker will be co-defendants in the case. Now, Mr. Parker's lawyers had asked for their cases to be tried separately. The trial likely won't begin until the summer of 2023 at the earliest. Now, Mark Tinsley represents Renee Beach, who filed a lawsuit against Parker and Murdoch. She is the mother of Mallory Beach, the 19-year-old woman killed in the nighttime boat crash back in February of 2019 down there in the low country waters of Beaufort, South Carolina. The trial is expected to determine who was at fault for Beach's death and how much money, if any, should be paid to Beach's family. Now, earlier this year, the judge, Judge Daniel Hall, had hoped for a trial in October or November, but that didn't quite work out. And uh, the attorneys uh, for Parker cited a blitz of adverse publicity surrounding the Murdoch case, and he requested his case to be tried separately from Murdoch. The uh, former lawyer, Alex Murdoch, faces a host of obviously criminal charges, including theft, as well as, oh, you know, the serious allegation of murder for he allegedly killed his wife maggie and his son paul now the judge first ruled that parker could be tried separately from murdoch but reversed himself after tinsley asked him to reconsider the decision in october parker's lawyers appealed to the south carolina court of appeals asking the court that parker should be able to be tried separately from murdoch Murdoch is a defendant in the case because he allegedly often allowed his youngest son, Paul, who's now deceased, you know, the one that he's allegedly killed. 
He allowed him to use an ID that was not his own to buy alcohol, knowing his son would become reckless when driving a boat or vehicle, according to the lawsuit. Now, Parker's a defendant because his store sold beer to Paul Murdoch, who was 19 at the time, and Paul bought the alcohol for himself and friends who were all underage before a boat he was allegedly driving crashed into a bridge uh, piling there in Archer's Creek down there in uh, the Low Country. Now, after the Court of Appeals ruling, the attorney for Parker, a guy by the name of uh, P.K. Shear, uh, said, we're obviously disappointed with the decision, but we ultimately look forward to presenting our case at trial and exonerating Tajia Cohen, the convenience store clerk who sold the alcohol and Parker's. Now, the key element in Parker's defense is the claim that Cohen sold Paul beer and hard seltzer the night of the boat crash and properly checked Paul's identification. Parker's defense is the claim that Cohen sold Paul beer and hard seltzer the night of the boat crash and properly checked Paul's identification. The defense claims, however, that Parker's didn't give its clerk adequate training in checking identification cards and Cohen, who is not a defendant in the case, should have noticed that Paul was using the driver's license of his older brother, Buster. Now, Buster is taller than Paul and doesn't look exactly like Paul at all. That's what the plaintiffs allege. Other members of the Murdoch family are named in the suit, including Paul and Maggie's estate, as well as Buster. Paul's estate is named because he was the alleged reckless driver of the boat, and Maggie's estate is named because she allegedly gave him a credit card to buy alcohol the night of the crash. Buster's named because he allegedly gave Paul his driver's license so Paul could buy alcohol, according to the lawsuit. Now, in a brief file with the Court of Appeals, uh, Tinsley, who represents the family of Miss Beach, asserted it is well-settled law that the defendants cannot choose to have their own individual lawsuit when they are joined with other defendants in a civil case. Mr. Tinsley said that the, the Beach trial won't begin until after the Murdoch stands trial uh, for the uh, alleged murder of his wife and son. And the trial is scheduled to begin, obviously, in January 23rd and run at least three weeks. Another factor in the trial delay, Tinsley added, is that the House Speaker, Meryl Smith, is a member of Parker's legal team and has requested the trial start date be deferred until summer when the state legislature is out of session. State judges apparently routinely put legal proceedings on hold when a lawyer for one party or another is a member of the General Assembly and the legislature is in session. A uh, spokesperson for Parker's legal team agreed with Mr. Tinley's assessment that the trial wouldn't begin until the summer of 2023. Now, should a verdict and damages be rendered against multiple defendants, but only one can pay damages, a state legal doctrine known as joint several liability will come into play, meaning that the defendants will assert that they would be liable for the total amount of the damages. That means Parker, who's established significant wealth, faces far more exposure in the Beach case than Murdoch, who's basically used all of his assets for his criminal defense cases or have already been seized by creditors because he has nothing left. So he has really nothing to lose. The convenience store owner, the guy that has been successful, probably has insurance, probably going to wind up holding the short end of the stick here indeed. Now, hopefully they will apportion fault uh, in the crash. And once they say, okay, here are the damages, we're going to apportion 
85% uh, against uh, Paul Murdoch, another uh, 5% maybe towards Mallory Beach. You say, why? Well, for getting on a boat with a guy that was drunk. You can apportion that kind of liability and fault. And then maybe the balance uh, for uh, Paul or Buster, it just really depends on how the jury is going to come out to it. We'll see. It's going to be interesting. Um, I'm telling you, when that case first happened, I thought this is going to be big. And the fact that this kid was born with a silver spoon in his mouth, the family controlled um, the county for the last 100 years, and everybody in the family had been a district attorney down there for the last 100 years. I just had a feeling something wasn't right. The whole thing has just smelled from the beginning. And that's why they're making documentaries about this particular case. And um, it's going to get more interesting when that trial comes around. Finally, our dumb criminal of the day. After a witness called 911 to report a reckless driver because he was speeding and swerving all over the road, the sheriff's deputies ultimately spotted the suspect and um, saw him go past the deputies about 100 miles per hour, about uh, 9.15 at night. Uh, when the car was ultimately pulled over more than two miles up the interstate, driver Nicholas Bernard reportedly admitted to going 120 miles an hour. Bernard explained that he reached the top speed because a good song came on. I mean, face it, really? Haven't we all done that? Haven't we all done that? I have. Raise my hand if you've done that. I have. Well, that's why we not, Mr. Bernard is not our dumb criminal. Nope, not because of that. Well, um, he was facing the speeding citation, but when he opened the glove box to retrieve his registration insurance, the cops found a bunch of marijuana in plain view, and so therefore they had to arrest him because I guess in some states it's still illegal, like Florida. Anyway, Mr. Bernard has been charged with paramisdemeanor drug counts and booked into the county jail. I mean, come on, seriously? We've all, good song comes on, you like the floor it? Come on, we've all done that. I don't feel, but Mr. Bernard, knowing you have a bunch of drugs in your car and opening with the cops looking right at you, that's dumb. Anyway, thanks for watching. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you next time on Crime Talk.